This is Mission.org. Hello and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. Today's episode of Marketing Trends features an interview with Ron Schneiderman. Ron is the COO and CMO of AllTrails, a platform for off-road recreation. He co-founded and was CMO of Liftopia and also served as the head of growth for Yelp Reservations. Ron joined Lauren and Ian in studio to talk about his background in marketing, why he serves as both COO and CMO at his current company, and what it was like to raise money from Chris Saka. Thanks for listening. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at The Mission. I am joined by my co-host, Lauren Vaccarello. What's going on? Not too much. Hey, everybody. Thank you for, for listening and joining us today. We have another excellent guest in studio all the way from the East Bay, where I also reside. Ron, how's it going? Good. Thanks for having me. All right. So we are going to be talking today about his career as a co-founder of multiple companies and a CMO who also has some COO duties. So we're going to get into his background, change management, trends and digital growth, B2B versus B2C, and a whole lot more. No, oh, I love it. And I love having the the marketer who's more than a marketer, who's the founder, who's the chief operating officer. And being a longtime marketer, I always find that people assume the only thing we know about is marketing and we don't always get, you know, to broaden and expand our careers. And you've got a ton of sales leaders who end up becoming GMs, who end up becoming CEOs and product leaders who go through similar paths. And I love the marketer, co-founder, marketer, COO. I think uh, Ron gives us all who aspire to do more than marketing one day, sort of hope for what are all the different possibilities that uh, that we can do. Oh, you're still going to be doing marketing. Oh, you're just going to also exactly. have the title of co-founder or COO yes. or something. You know who's more than a marketer? You, Lauren. Thank you. Thank you. No so, hangups there at all, guys. So, Ron, how'd you get your uh, start in marketing? Yeah. So, I, as you said, I grew up in the Bay. I went down to LA for school, went to UCLA, go Bruins. And during my time down there, I watched web 1.0 unfold, right? And so I was just watching it from afar and I was smitten by it. I was just, I love the energy. I loved how it felt like all the old rules were being thrown out. I, I just love the idea of like crashing on couches and pulling all nighters and fortunes being made. And you know, it just, I wanted in uh, and I couldn't wait to graduate and get back up to San Francisco and be a part of that scene. But when I graduated in December 2000, just the, that whole world went to shit overnight. Like it was just like, I was like standing there looking at this smoking empty crater of where everything used to be. And so with my plan shot, I you know went to on-campus recruiting with my tail between my legs and I got taken out to a fancy dinner by, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm easily bought, by the way. <laughs> yeah, you, you're like, I want to go 
into the fast-paced world as quick as possible. So I'm going to go into consulting. Consulting. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. So a fancy dinner by the kind folks at Accenture and signed up to be a business process consultant. So that's how I got into tech. And uh, I was working in their banking division doing these big, you know, nine-figure implementation integration projects for mortgage banks all over the country, which, quick aside, all of them have since gone out of business. Oh, <laughs> There's probably something telling there. So I did my three-year stint as a consultant, and I got tired of being on the road. I wanted to get back home to the Bay. And through a friend of a friend, I was able to uh, get a gig running BizDev over at Hotwire, which back then, it was this like cool, quirky online startup right in downtown San Francisco, uh, which was kind of a rarity. Everything was sort of down in Palo Alto, and there just weren't a lot of startups in San Francisco at the time. By the way, another quick aside, the Hotwire Mafia seriously underrated so do you know tai she yeah do you know that he was in studio two days ago i did not know yeah that. he's an upcoming episode of marketing trends this is actually fantastic. probably will it's probably already live um i'm dating the podcast now but it's probably already out there <laughs> uh live in the world yeah his stories were wild and he was telling me that, that was one of his big big tips for marketers was that your career is going to have a bunch of different alumni networks mm -hmm. and that that's a huge part of being a marketer and we talked about doing great work early on in your career because those things all will come back totally and it's the thing for everyone to remember is careers are long and the valley is small so the people that you you work with today and if you're in the beginning of your career the middle or latter in your career the people you work with at all these different stages are the people that you will call on for everything. And I was telling Ian earlier, I was 10 minutes late getting here today because I ran into an old coworker who is CMO at this amazing, really fast growing startup in the Bay Area, who I haven't seen in probably three years, bumped into him in a Starbucks and it is like we have not missed a beat because we worked together for years. and. Uh, spoiler alert, he'll be a future guest on Marketing Trends, but you can't undervalue and underestimate the impact of these people that you've worked with. And I think that we could do more to get more of the Hotwire Mafia here. Yeah. No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and there's one of the things, you know, at the time I knew that I was surrounded by just really cool, high energy people, but it was, you know, only through the lens of hindsight that you realize how, how unique so many of them were. And you know, how many founders came in mm -hmm. on that group and other executives, um, just an awesome place to be. But I also felt very siloed, right? And so it was, it was probably like a 200 person company. And, you know, it was, it was cool. Like I was a 24, 25 year old running biz dev. I had no business doing any of that Take stuff. Make it till you make it. Yeah. Um, and I loved it, but I, I wanted more. I wanted, a, I wanted to learn more. I wanted access to more and there just weren't opportunities there, right? And so, I decided to take the GMAT and uh, I had this big plan of going Famous to, last words. I know, right? Mm -hmm. I had this big plan of going to business school to study entrepreneurship, yep. which, you know, in hindsight is kind of hilarious. And that's when the opportunity for Liftopia actually presented itself. And so I'm not a business school dropout. I am a business school applicant dropout. Oh, that's even better. <laughs> so I too am a business school applicant dropout. Uh, nice. I think you and I had a very similar path that I was like, I'm going to go to business school. I will study entrepreneurship. What I, And actually, because I worked in the financial vertical, similarly for with a lot of companies that no longer exist, um, I was like, you know, no one trusts marketers in financial services if they don't have an MBA. So what I'm going to do 
is I'm going to go to business school and I'm going to get this fancy degree so I'm more trusted and I'll start my own company. And then instead of doing all of that, I never went to business school and I started my own company. My company was much less successful than your company. Well, I, I was shocked to find out that every single business school had a different set of essays that you had to write. Same. I don't, this, this is suddenly a lot of work. I yeah. took the test. Come on. Yeah, right? Isn't that enough? Yeah. So. I was a, uh, my buddy took the GMAT and I saw him like studying for it. And I was like, you're studying for a test that doesn't actually hold any information that is valuable. I was like, I automatically, like, it's like, and for that reason, I'm out. Like, <laughs> I will never waste a second of my life doing something that is not meaningful when uh, it has no intrinsic value. As an adult, like as, you know, in your younger years, you know, you can do whatever. But anyways. So, yeah. So I, I started this company called Liftopia, which is the largest seller of lift tickets online on the planet. Um, no big deal. No big deal. No, but it was, you know, for skiing and snowboarding and stuff like that. Yep, everything all mountain related. It was just me and my co-founder, just just the two of us for four years. So this is 2005. It was a totally different era. No one cared about consumer internet. There was mm -hmm. just nothing really interesting happening. And so it, it was a grind. It was the two of us working out of my apartment, not taking salary for years. I, was eat, I ate canned soup every day for two years. So the important question is, can you still eat no. canned soup? No, God, no. No, I hate <laughs> soup. I, probably, I mean, it probably has like, I mean, I love like Top Ramen canned soup and all that sort of huh. stuff, but it's uh, probably the most sodium you could oh, consume yeah. on I Earth. I think I took years off my life. <laughs> but, you know, I, back to the original question. I mean, we could talk about soup for this whole podcast if you guys want. But... <laughs> I could go for some clam chowder right about oh. now. And then bread bowl. It's, we're we're, we're close England. enough to San Francisco. <laughs> But, you know, so so the interesting thing, though, right, and, and this is what I loved about it is um, when there's just two of you, you, ha you have to divide and conquer, mm -hmm. right? There's there's no shortage of stuff that has to be done and there's no one else to do it. And what I found was that I was gravitating more and more towards the marketing stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'd never done it before. I never even taken a marketing class. But what I found was that I loved... I loved that I was using both parts of my brain, right? I, I love the science part and the art part. I love that I could... I'd be going deep in a spreadsheet, just really trying to, you know, grind through some numbers, find some truth in the data, and then immediately shift gears and start focusing on, you know, messaging and imagery and empathy mm -hmm. and connecting with my end users. And I, I loved it. And so as the as the company grew, it doesn't make sense getting titles when there's two of you. Like that's yeah. kind of silly, right? But as the company grew, I sort of naturally slid into the CMO role. So and ever since then, my my career has kind of uh, followed this path of, of marketing and growth. But again, to be clear, like prior to being CMO, I never taken marketing class. I had no prior exposure, just 100% learned on the fly, out of necessity, just hands-on classroom stuff. And you know, to this day, like I, I don't think I've ever learned more in as short of a period of time as I did there. Again, just out of necessity, right? And mm -hmm. I know my career would look a lot different today too if I didn't have that exposure and that hands-on experience. Well, I think Steve Blank says, you know, there's only two functions of a company, you know, buying stuff or selling stuff and making stuff, right? And so with a marketplace like Cliftopia, it had to be a different sort of thing. And this is kind of where this blended idea of the CMO plus COO and your current role at All Trails, where you're both of these things. How do you kind of think that in, especially in a marketplace or in a type of mobile platform or web platform, why do you think that CMO aligns closely with operations specifically? Yeah, no, I, it's a good question. 
And I think that the role of CMO has changed a lot. I think back, you know, probably through most of history, you know, the history of CMO at least, and, you know, into sort of the start of like this chapter of tech, CMO really focused on top of the funnel, mm-hmm. right? It was like there were traditional like branding and advertising and get bodies in through the door. But as the channels have evolved and the data has evolved and our awareness around how to quantify and measure ROI has changed mm-hmm. and how we think about this stuff. I mean, you know, we're now able to look at it through the lens of a full funnel and sort of like, it's all a closed loop mm-hmm. system. And so for me, in my experience, the thing that I've come to appreciate is that if I'm going to work my craft, if I'm going to do the things that I, I think I can do, I need access to more than just the top of the funnel. Mm-hmm. And that that means, you know, you, you need a bigger seat at the table. Yeah. Right. And that's why I love being a founder. Obviously, you get to do quite a bit. But even, you know, as my as my career has progressed, I've kind of taken that same mindset and really made sure that if I'm going to take on a role, I want to be set up for success, which means I need I need more. No. And I I think that's something that so many marketers now are saying and kind of craving is how can we get the bigger how can we get a bigger seat at the table? And marketing today isn't just about brand and advertising, especially if you're thinking at anything tech related, but beyond that, marketing is both the the voice of the customer and the representative of what the customer cares about internally. And then also how do you take everything about your company, your product, put it out into the world and have an impact on on the business. And the work that you're you're doing at All Trails and building this marketplace is a great example of that. Yeah, I mean, so as someone who does a lot of operations work at the mission, I find it extremely difficult and tedious to do ops work <laughs> when you and media is a little different, but uh, I, I'd say it's you know when you're trying to be creative, whether that's for us in creating media or writing or things like that, or whether it's creating a product, right? Products are inherently very creative or thinking about your customers in unique ways, which I think is a very creative endeavor. I find the operation stuff to be extremely time consuming, demanding, and like a different part of my brain. And like, what's funny, you know, for me, I was in the military, so like ops is not, is something that like I've literally drilled on for a decade in my life. So (laughs) I can kind of like go back into that role, but it requires me to completely have a different mindset and segment my time. How do you manage those two things? Or do you see it more as like the combined digital nature of both roles? I, I view them as one in the same. Let me give you an example from All Trails, right? So so All Trails has been around since 2010. I joined in 2015 along with the new CEO. We replaced the founder. He got an opportunity to go do something else at a big company that's probably going to go public this year. And we took over. And Given that it was an established con- company, I didn't want to come over. I didn't want to come in and flip the table over on day mm-hmm. one, right? So I spent three months. I gave myself three months to just listen and learn. And so, you know, I read every app store review we ever got, mm-hmm. every single one. I read. I did all the frontline customer support myself. I read, you know, every net promoter score survey that we had ever sent out. I read every blog that I could ever find written about us, including all the comments, every Reddit thread, mm-hmm. right? I really wanted to, to get my hands around, like, what's the sentiment out there? What are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? How do people perceive us? And coming into the role, I, you know, my, the CEO and I both knew that there were issues with the product and we, we were prepared for that, right? Like we had a plan in place. It was great. We we're going to unlock it, turn this thing around. What we didn't realize was just how bad the data was. 
Hmm. Right. And so, and that only came again, just by, by reading reviews, right? Like, Hey, all trails, you said that this trailhead started here and I spent eight hours driving through forest service roads and a ranger had to come find me. That's right? a great man. Wow. Right. Like, or, Hey, all trails, you said this trail is dog friendly and I got a $300 ticket and people were outraged. They were yep. so angry yeah. and rightfully so. I mean, it's the outdoors, it's high contact. You can't, you can't mess around with this stuff. The saving grace in that was that they were pissed. They weren't apathetic. They were pissed, right? And so I knew that there like was angry, angry users are engaged users, exactly. right? Like right. Angry, you're angry. Your most boisterous customers are the ones that, like, you know, you get yelled at. You do all that stuff, and then they renew, right? And it was like I'm they yell turn because this. they care. Exactly. If they were apathetic, we would have been in trouble, right? And so to me, like, it was a positive, but it kind of opened our eyes. Like, okay, not only do we have a product issue, we have a data issue. Mm-hmm. And so the CEO and I had to go heads down just trying to fix the data ourselves, one yeah. trail at a time. And it became an ops question, right? It was product and ops. So we had to assess the, the current tools and figure out like, all right, what do we need to build out? How do we do mm-hmm. this uh, at scale across the globe at a high velocity, right? So we had to work on the, the tools and the product. Then how can we institutionalize this? How can we then take this and build a team of what we now call data integrity specialists, right? Who are just going to focus on making sure that every single trail that's on our site is as accurate as humanly possible and any piece of feedback that we get from our users we can close that loop within you know 24 hours Mm -hmm. it was it was a pure and simple ops question and you know that came from kind of taking this holistic approach to to my role the top of the funnel was great that was actually one of the reasons why i took this job i'd never been in a position in my career where i didn't have to worry about the top of the funnel Mm -hmm. right my predecessor had built this amazing seo machine for getting all this free traffic we were punching them in the face once they came in the door. Yeah, totally, right? Right. But yeah, like yeah. The, the top of the funnel was solved, but we needed to figure out what happened once they came inside. And again, it 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 had nothing to do with like traditional quote marketing, yeah. right? But it but if you think through that growth mindset and everything, like this is where the leakage was, you know, we're we're getting people in. Maybe we could trick them into registering, but they wouldn't use the product, they wouldn't tell their friends. In fact, they're going out telling their friends how bad of an experience they had. And we knew we had to turn that around. And it, that was a heavy lift. And it took some time, but we finally did it. And we've just seen the growth take off since then. I mean, Lauren, how many focus groups or, you know, not focus groups, but how many conversations have you been in your career where you sit around with a group of marketers or executives and you, and you figure and you have word of mouth written on the board and you're like, how are we going to drive more <laughs> word of mouth marketing? And it's like, it's interesting to have this conversation where what I would just, that entire conversation is a product conversation, right? which is why it's such an important marketing conversation. How do we enhance word of mouth? It's like, it needs to be a remarkable product. Completely. And it is the, it's almost like the marketing meme of word of mouth because you're supposed to have it. Yeah. And one of the things that you were talking about that I loved is the like, look, we get top of the funnel solved. We can get you to register. And so many marketers think, you know, cool, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I got you to register. I got someone to buy the product, but the two things that you talked about, which is so much of where I think marketing is going and where marketing is having and needs to have a bigger role is, how are you driving product usage? And it's really hard to market a product that doesn't work. And if marketing is getting the feedback that this trail isn't isn't right and it's you know pissing people off, how is marketing and how is everyone really accountable for how do we fix this? And as it gets fixed, how does marketing not just acquire users, but acquire users who use the product and eventually love the product and tell everybody and may having that that mindset of our job isn't done unless the customers are 
thrilled in telling everyone they're thrilled because if customers are telling everyone how great the product is, you have to back into all of the things that had to happen for that to be true. I totally agree. I I, I feel like if you look at metrics in a silo, mm-hmm. it's just way too easy to juice your personal metrics. Totally. Completely. Right? And the thing that I've come to appreciate through my career is as an executive, you you have to have that holistic view about yes. the overall health of the, the business. And sometimes that's in direct contrast with the goals that an individual Completely. department have might have. I mean, and that's, you know, that's my time at Yelp in a nutshell is managing through that. But it, it's just, it's too important. It's too important. It's too easy, especially as a marketer, right? Like if, I, if, if I'm going to be judged on how many installs I can get. You can game that system. Oh my goodness, right? And if you are, and one of the things Ron and I had talked about earlier was sort of the early days of digital marketing. And if you have been in digital for a while, and the joke that I always say is I've, I've worked in digital since before it was a socially acceptable profession. Um, <laughs> If you've done this, you've got this little bit of hustle and a lot of growth marketers have this of the, this is the outcome I'm trying to get. I can game that system. I can figure out how to get to whatever my my metric or my goal is. And it's the, with great power comes great responsibility. If you can do that, you can, my goal is, is app installs. Awesome. I can tell you 150 ways to get every app install, but as a, a leader and as an executive and not even that, as a responsible employee, you should think not about, okay, I get my goal as app installs, but really my goal is how do I help drive success for this company? And if I'm driving bad app installs for people that this isn't useful for that are, and it's just pissing them off and they're creating negative reviews, I've done more harm than good. I just heard thousands of our listeners and subscribers go, yeah, but what But what are the ways? Show me the fifth, Show me the list of 50 ways to get the app installed. That, that'll be a different episode. Yeah, we'll do that as a, maybe we'll do like a white paper or something. <laughs> Lauren's, uh, Lauren's list of 50 ways to get app installed. Oh, I think the answer is word of mouth. <laughs> yeah, right. Def, definitely. I think that's number 17. Let's get a whiteboard in here. <laughs> um, Let's have a chalk talk. Did you, have you ever use that? It's a big military thing, chalk talk. I have no idea where, I don't know if it comes from literally using chalk on a whiteboard, but that was a- Let's do uh, a chalk talk. Yeah, I have no, I'll look it up over. I'm taking that with me. Um, Okay, so you touched on the Yelp thing, on your experience at Yelp. Yelp was completely different. You were at Liftopia for almost a decade, nine years, right? And then you go into Yelp as you switch to B2B, it's a different problem set. What were the B2B specific things that you learned or the challenges that you had there? Yeah, so I mean, Yelp's an interesting place, right? And and I, I love it. I use the product all the time. I I like working at places in which I personally want to use the product. I feel like I'm best when yeah. I, when I'm doing that. I can just I can just more immediately empathize and connect with that end user. And so, you know, I was I was super excited about the opportunity to join Yelp. And you know, it's primarily it's it's a two pillar organization. And so what I mean by that is, it's got this massive pillar of sales and a massive engineering pillar. And you know, they have they have deep roots. They they go they have basically use colleges like a farm system. Yep. I mm-hmm. mean, it's amazing what they do. And that's probably like 90%, 95% of the total headcount of that company. And that's where all that like energy is as well. Mm-hmm. And up until recently, like there never really been any kind of a true marketing function mm-hmm. or a true growth mentality there. And so when I got brought on board, I was a one man growth team. 
and so to give you some context, so Yelp had just acquired a small company called SeatMe, which was an open table competitor, mm-hmm. right? And and so this acquisition was like this tip of the spear strategy to make all of Yelp's business listings bookable directly within mm-hmm. the platform, right? Increase engagement, interaction. It was it was super high visibility. We had weekly board meetings with Jeremy Stoppelman and mm-hmm. Jeff Doniker, the, the executive team, weekly board meetings. You know, they, they'd mention us on the quarterly earnings calls to mm-hmm. Wall Street, even though we weren't driving any revenue at the time. It was just, it was this very visible strategy. And so I got, I got brought on as head of growth to focus on the supply side, mm-hmm. getting more restaurants to give us reservable inventory. But like, I, I was like a king without a castle, right? Like I had this title, I had zero team, I had a ton of budget, but I had no resources and and I had executive buy-in. So mm. it, was, it was weird, right? Like it was super challenging. It was a great learning experience, but the way I tackled it was in the beginning, I kind of focused on what I could control, right? So spun up some SEM, spun up some Facebook ads, mm. you know, direct mail, uh, which I'd never done before, which is kind of fun. Optimize our SEO, did some photo shoots, get some like, you know, refresh imagery. But within a couple of months, it became clear that this inbound model we were trying to create just it wasn't going to scale there mm-hmm. just weren't enough restaurateurs who kind of wake up and google like restaurant reservation management software right yeah. like they're just yeah that's why i mean that's why the outbound sales part of the organization is so massive is because it's like literally dialing for dollars and, all day every day and you that was exactly it that was exactly it right like that was my epiphany it was like the only way we're going to get this to work is to like basically move and align all of these other huge blocks within Yelp around this initiative. And that's where, you know, that's where I learned about change management. And, you know, on the on the product side, we needed to get real estate and Yelp's business owner listing tools and the onboarding flows. Mm-hmm. Yelp had this massive sales and account management organization, you know, thousands, thousands of people talking mm-hmm. to restaurateurs every day. Like let's get into those touch points, right? Just let's be efficient with those touch points. On the consumer side of things, we need to get reservations front and center so that we could create the demand side of that marketplace. That uh, One of the things that I find so fascinating, this is something that I've seen done of like, this is the, uh, the classic throw a one line into everybody's email signature block mm-hmm. of everyone in your sales team. It's like, if we were having thousands of conversations a day and we want to promote this product, like head of sales, you need we need to do this because so many people, and it's also another reason to reach out. Hey, did you know? Mm-hmm. Hey, did you know? I'm adding value to you. Did you know that this is a thing that we do? Um, did you do anything like that? Yeah, I mean, we tried, right? And so like for me, sitting back, trying to take this real holistic mm-hmm. look and think through how can we utilize the full might of Yelp. All of this seemed totally doable, totally straightforward. I had a plan. We were going to do it. And that's when I found myself just running headfirst over and over into brick walls. I was just Mm -hmm. concussing myself, right? And there were so many fiefdoms, right? Mm -hmm. There were so many. And I'm not trying to bag on Yelp. It's just, you know, my experience of being in a big company, there were just so many, you know, managers or directors, different department heads whose individual and team metrics didn't align yep. with the greater company's metrics and who would take a financial hit, for example. And I, I just, I grossly underestimated how hard it would be to turn this around on my own. And, you know, I was there for 14 months and we 10 x our reservable inventory, you know, which I'm proud of, but I also realized I'm not wired for office politics. Yep. Like I would suck in King's Landing. I just, <laughs> <laughs> I, you need you need to be on the wall. 
Lots of trails around <laughs> you, you know, some mountains, maybe a couple ski lifts. Yeah. And it's a totally different skill set to be able to go in. And it sounds like, not just at Yelp, but at so many big companies, part of the job is how do I now go in and have all the coffee meetings and get the buy-in from this person to do me a favor to do this. And it's so easy, especially if you're used to not having to politic your results to go, but this is a company priority. It's in earnings. This is what we're doing. Why is nobody listening to me? And you're like, well, it's because they have they have their fiefdom. And there's this really interesting book about um, power dynamics. I'll look up the name of it, but it's it is all about how sort of we give power and take power away. And it sounds like in this situation, whether they're a manager in whatever department or a VP or whatever the title is, they have degrees of power and you're asking them to change the power dynamic, which people don't like to do. You know what you really needed? You need to do some chalk talks. You definitely, uh, need, you definitely so, need chalk talk. Which, by the way, it turns out it literally is a talker lecture in which the speaker uses a blackboard or chalk. So, so now is it now is it whiteboard talks? It do, I, I'd say it'd be whiteboard sessions. Whiteboard sessions. Yeah, good name for a podcast, actually, or a racehorse. Oh, the the book that I was thinking of because but people on the podcast can't see is me looking at my phone is called The Power Paradox: How We Gain and Lose Influence. We'll link it up in the show notes. So when you went into, after that kind of experience at, at Yelp and you go into all trails and you're kind of trying to figure out how to eliminate fiefdoms and do things like that, what were some of like your immediate alignment setting priorities? Like how did you align people on certain goals or KPIs or things like that? Well, part of it was, <laughs> it, it was easy because we were a six person company at all trails when I started there. So it wasn't that hard, but I did want to make sure that before I accepted the role, that there was alignment between the CEO and I around not just focusing on top of the funnel, right? And and I'm very, very thankful that he he understood that dynamic. He understood that we need to take a holistic view mm -hmm. at this. And, you know, it was, it was kind of like the early days of Liftopia. Again, you know, there, there was six of us four of whom were developers. So it was he and I just in the trenches doing all this stuff together. And, and it was great. So he, he got it. And then as we've been building out the company, it's just kind of baked into our DNA. You know, we're, we're small, even today, we're a 21 person company where I'm trying to hire a bunch, but you know, so maybe in the next like three, six months, we'll be at 30 people, maybe mm -hmm. 32, right? Nothing crazy. You're looking for marketers? Uh, yeah, actually I am. Hey, if anyone's listening. Yeah. But that's by design, right? Like I, I realized for myself, I'm at my best and I'm happiest when I'm in a, a small company. There's no bureaucratic bullshit. I don't, I don't want to deal with egos, mm -hmm. right? I don't want to deal with individual agendas. I just, you know, my ego is tied up in the success of the company, yes. right? There's no pride of ownership. It's just as the whole, are we doing the right thing? And so for us at Altrails, we're building a very, very flat organization, mm -hmm. which again, I'm proud of, right? We just, we want doers. We want people who are, going to be with us and he and I are in the trenches every day too just rolling up our sleeves and trying to move the needle every single day and honestly I think it's great advice for for every marketer and really for every person is there's no one right way to be there's no one right type of marketer or professional you might love being at a small company you might love being at a big company I think what's really important is you figure out who you are where you thrive what you enjoy and you seek that head on and say this is where I'm at my best 
I want to be at my best in my happiness. And this is where where I get that from. Yeah, because when you're happy, you know, the company's gonna get your peak output. Right. Absolutely. So it's good for everybody. And it's not just company size too, it's also stage. Yes. Right? That's the other thing. That was yeah, I I, I know you're going through a transition right now and it's, it's exciting. I love transitions. Yep. I love them, right? These are the things that like when you're looking backwards on, these are the dots that you kind of connect. Mm-hmm. Right. And so after Liftopia, I took six months off and I I went off social media. I didn't Ooh. open LinkedIn once. Yeah, actually, and it was it was amazing. It was liberating. It's kind of like you just you don't even miss it after after like a week. I just spent time with my family. I rode my bike every day, did a ton of yoga. We traveled, did a solo backpacking trip. It was great. But part of why I needed to drown out all this noise was because I needed to figure out for myself, like, where am I going to be happiest, yes. right? Like, I felt a lot of pressure and I couldn't tell if it was internal or external, whether, you know, it, it, to do a startup from mm-hmm. scratch, right? And I, I needed to like kind of like parse through that. Am I, am I actually like a startup founder? Mm-hmm. Am I a startup guy? Am I just a marketer? Like, who am I? Where in that life cycle do I want to live? And it was a really, really cool opportunity to get that space and that time to think through it. Because again, like you don't normally get it. Like oftentimes we're more reactive than proactive, Mm -hmm. right? And so having this opportunity to just really step back and give myself that time and space to think through it has, you know, really helped me personally in my happiness levels. And you're sitting after Liftopia and you're like, man, I really want to go for a trail run man these things are hard to find <laughs> yeah it's yeah, like no. file that away for later I, I i love mountain biking that's my favorite thing that i do and anytime i do a new trail a hundred percent of the time i get lost it's inevitable right yeah. unless you have like a friend showing you where to go yeah and even then like the second time i go i'm gonna get lost yeah. so i did absolutely plant that one to be like god it'd be really cool if i could just like have this map and like something could just show me where to go yeah. and like where to turn at these different junctions this is why I never go on hikes by myself because I will you know always go with some. Now I know there's an app, <laughs> but now I have this app. I'm still terrified to go by myself, mostly because I'm prone to getting lost and not finding my way out. But actually, it was one of the things you were were talking about that I love is the having that time to soul search. And I have a friend of mine who I will not mention, um, who's the COO at a very successful company, and he was the CEO at another company before, and he had started his own company in between. And he's someone that I will go to for general life advice, career advice. And he and I were talking. And he's like, you know, what do you want to do? And I went, one day I want to be a CEO. He's like, why do you really want to do this? And he's like, everyone told me I needed to found my own company. And I wanted to be CEO and I'd been COO before. So I founded my own company. And you know what, Lauren? I hated it. I was so miserable and I was so unhappy. And I realized I did this because of ego. I did this because this is what everyone said I should do. This is what I was supposed to do. And I realized that's not me. I don't want to do it. I don't enjoy it. I was really unhappy. And now he's back to being COO and he's doing absolutely amazing because he's absolutely amazing. But he's like, this is what I'm good at. I go in, I help other companies scale. This is what I'm good at and what I'm happiest about. And the advice he gave me is the... Before you decide this is where you want to go and what you want to do, maybe it is and maybe you'll be great at it, but make sure you're making the decision because it's what you want to do, not because this is an ego play and ego says you have to do this and you see the people around you doing all of these things and suddenly you it's the problem with social media and it's great that you got off social media. I should do the same thing. Nah. Nah. <laughs> I kind of, I need to know. We need you. Thank you. 
but you see all these people and you're like, but they're doing that and I want to do this. And then all of a sudden your ego takes over and you are making decisions based on ego. And you know who doesn't care about you every day? All of those people you see and you don't actually know. And you're the person who is then stuck with this decision of, I started this company because I thought I was supposed to, but gosh, I'm miserable. Yeah, I mean, I would say that when when we're the happiest years, when we're storytelling. And that's a perfect segue into a little bit of story time. So you have had the opportunity to raise some money from some pretty big time investors, some pretty famous investors. Can you share some of those folks and, and maybe give us one or two good stories? So Liftopia, when I was at Liftopia, we did four rounds. I need a preface this though. Right? Preface Again, away, my man. We started in 05 when just no one cared about this stuff. And we went out in 2006 and in 2007 and no one would even give us the time of day. Mm-hmm. You know, prior prior to starting Liftopia, I was running BizDev at Hotwire, but my desk was in the hallway <laughs> and my co-founder's desk was near the microwave. Like this is where we stood in the high, like we, we were nobody, we had no networks, yeah. you know, we had no big wins under our belt. We couldn't get anyone's time, you know, yeah, like people weren't throwing money at at B2C stuff back then. So it was brutal. It was brutal for year. You know, we we finally, finally did like a, a seed round in March of 08 mm-hmm. after starting in 05. Oh, 08's a great time to jump in and raise yeah, capital. Right? Exactly. And we raised 500 grand and it was the hardest 500 grand I've ever raised in my entire life. I, I, I we hadn't been taking salary and, you know, like. I cried like tears of relief. You know, my my co-founder was getting ready to sell his car. It was just it was like dark days. And I think I think tons of entrepreneurs have a similar story where you totally. just, like, you get right to the brink and you have that come to Jesus moment, like, are, are we, we gonna, gonna keep pushing through it? You know, and we were convinced like we just need time, like we just need air, we need time, we need space, and this will click into place. And thankfully it did, right? So the five hundred grand, like it gave us a little bit of oxygen. I don't know, eighteen months later we did we raised a million bucks. No one, no one fun or exciting there. The next round though. Finally, we had a little bit of leverage, right? Like the the supply side of the marketplace kind of starts clicking into gear. The demand side follows. You know, our first year, we did 40 grand in gross bookings. We sold 900 tickets. We netted $4,000. Uh, <laughs> our second year, though, we, part, we, we jumped up like 500 grand in gross bookings, 50 grand in net. But, you know, it was moving on up. Yeah. It was moving up, up and to the right. So finally, in 2011, we wanted to kind of do a little splash year raise and so we got first on capital and they're fantastic i love those guys yeah they said no to us three times before they finally said yes and that was because one of the guys was buddies with our then vp of product and like he just went out on a mountain bike ride together he's like why are you doing this why are you why are you being such a sissy about this deal like just do it Mm -hmm. and then like the next week he's like all right we'll do it so (laughs) so that i mean that was rad that was great right the cool thing about first round is they had just done the Uber deal mm-hmm. with Chris Saka. And Saka is a big skier. And so they put us in touch. And so this is pre-Shark Tank and everything, but he kind of had a little bit of a reputation. Mm-hmm. So Saka splits his time between, and I don't know if he still does this, but at the time he split his time between Truckee and Manhattan Beach. And so- a nice life. I know, right? Dude, that guy's got it figured out, for real. That guy's the real deal and he's got it figured out. And so- I drove up to meet him at the Starbucks in the base of Squaw Valley. <laughs> and, you know, 
you know, he's got that goofy beard and he wears those ugly country shirts every single day. Every single interaction I ever had with him, he was wearing one of these ugly Western shirts with like the embroidered roses and all the stitching and pearl buttons. That's just, that's who he is, man. And Does he wear the bolo ties? Cause that's, I, I've never seen him wear one, but I, I'm like, it's the, it's a logical progression. I've never actually seen the bolo tie. He's got, he's got, maybe like if it's a black, a black oh, tie. Oh yeah, bag, no, yeah. Know, like, he's never fancy enough. Exactly. That's right. He doesn't yeah. need to wear the tie. Yeah, so, you know, I was like my personal, like, shark tank. You know, he put me through the ringer for three hours in the Starbucks, just grilling me on data and scalability and, you know, the depth and breadth of, of like, all these different analogs he was pulling in and the way he mm-hmm. started thinking about the evolution. of It was just crazy watching this dude think on his feet. Like, to this day, he's, like, one of the three smartest people I think I've ever been in a room in, just watching his mind work. That was my favorite one by far because that one, I felt like I earned it. You know, like that dude was skeptical. Mm-hmm. He was grilling me, like grilling everything about it. And we came through it. And that was cool. That was a cool one. Did you think that at that point in time, you were, had some secrets that you were holding back? Like not from that particular conversation, but did you kind of see like, hey, this is like, our business is legitimately working. If we actually had capital to grow this thing, we think that this is going to be, I mean, like, so another thing, right? Mobile essentially hasn't happened. Well, in 2011, it's already happening, but you know, not even close to where it is now. Right? In 2011, you're not booking ski tickets on your iPhone totally, where no. now I bought a couch on my phone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Me too. did you know there are more lift tickets sold in the United States than tickets for the NFL, NHL, and NBA combined? See, that's really? a great secret. That's amazing. See, that's a great secret. And that, that was, those were the headwinds that we were up against. Everyone thought it was this like lifestyle business, you know, like yeah. totally two dudes who just want to ski for free all the time. And, you know, we were very disciplined. We stayed in San Francisco. We weren't going to go move to Tahoe or some mm-hmm. like cool mountain town. You know, we always showed up to our meetings, like button down shirts. You know, we never took free lift tickets because like this was legit. This was like a very legit opportunity to disrupt an, an industry that needed it. Right. I mean, the fact that they were trying to charge the same price on mountain regardless of the snow or the day of week or the time of season or proximity to holidays or price of gas or like any mm-hmm. of the other things that are going to dictate whether or not it's worth driving up there for a weekend or not, right? Like we we have been doing this stuff at Hotwire for airlines and mm-hmm. hotels and rental cars and cruises and even activities. And, you know, we just knew that if we could, again, if we could just like survive long enough, like it was always like, if it's not going to be us, someone else is going to do yep. this, right? So why not us? Like, let's make this happen. And I think that stubbornness, but that persistent belief in the opportunity kind of like helped us get through there. And I think that's what like resonated with guys like Saka. We got Jeremy Stoppelman, the CEO of Yelp. He he invested. Jeremy is, I guess, homies with Mark Benioff and Benioff just kicked <laughs> us a check. I never even, I, I exchanged one email with him and he wrote like four words and then sent <laughs> us a check. And that's, that's pretty That's great. my Mark Benioff story. That's great. <laughs> I... I've had more email exchanges with Mark Benioff, but he's never sent me just a, a paycheck, but I never got the the random check. So I think your your one email was probably more powerful than every email I've ever. <laughs> it was a really good email. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I it's, it's those kind of times where I think, I think people a lot of times like see the results of like, oh, you raise money from this, you know, this group of people. But what they, what I think a lot of people don't realize is that, it's the cumulative, you've already done 98% of the work by the time you get into the Chris Saka meeting. Yep. And then once once that kind of like domino falls, it's like, yeah, the rest falls in place or the first round. It's really the 
borrow a phrase it's it's taking it from zero to one where it's like you mm-hmm. have to get the first person to sign on and be like no you you're you're actually pretty smart or you have a smart idea and there's a way that you can and it seems like you're figuring out a way to execute this i'm willing to to take a bigger step and obviously like the first 500 grand is like the oh my god someone just believes in in me as a human being Mm. but the later round checks is just like okay you can actually do this was there pressure at that time or at any time to say this should be pivoted into all types of tickets (laughs) into all types of everything into all types of like be everything to everyone that's that's the funny thing about being an entrepreneur, especially an unproven entrepreneur that has no street cred, right? Like there's no shortage of ideas that people are always kicking your way. Like we, we had this one, one of the first ones when we were trying to raise that 500 grand, someone's like, skiing's cool, but you know what you need to do? Dude ranches. <laughs> and you can call it Dude Ranchtopia. And you can sell Dude Ranch adventures for families. And this is going to be huge. Right? Huge. A couple years later, like in, uh, yeah, huge in, in, I don't know, it's 09 or 10, it was like Pete Groupon. Mm-hmm. So I was like, lift tickets are all right, but you know what you need to do? You need to buy all of the unsold ski boots mm. and then sell them online at a discount. Yeah, man. Yeah. Thank you. I don't think that you should invest in this opportunity. <laughs> and you just, you get no shortage of that stuff. And you, you know, I some of it's it. funny, right? Yeah. Some of it's kind of, some of it can be frustrating. I think uh, one of the biggest transformations I personally had going through being a founder was just like your skin gets thicker, mm-hmm. right? Like it just, it has to, otherwise you just, there's too many arrows being flung at you every single day. Too many people like just judging you and and throwing criticism your way from afar. It can mess with your head Completely. too, you know? And, but yeah, you toughen up or, or you get out of the game. Toughen up and you have to have a, a deep sense of self and self-confidence because- there will be no shortage of people trying to take you down. It's true. Speaking of taking you down. Lightning take round Take you down time. to the lightning round. Yeah. These are all questions you don't know about that we haven't shared with you. Secretive questions. All right, number one, what app are you using on your phone that's the most fun? This is going to sound lame, but Spotify? I just signed up for fancy Spotify. I've been using no. free Spotify forever, and then... I, just a, just a couple months ago, I finally convinced my wife to let me sign up for fancy ten dollars a month Spotify. Game changer! Holy smokes! Amazing! It is pretty amazing. Pretty good, yeah. Uh, so I have an idea. This is a this is an integrated segment. So are you ready? Automated marketing email uh, message chain through Pardot, our sponsor of the show, that people can just sign up for, and it sends your spouse like a series of emails for a specific product that you want to buy. <laughs> I love this. I'm on board with this one. Because like I feel like everyone has, you know, you got to get approval for one thing. I, we were talking about on, a, on an earlier podcast about um, how there's certain decisions that you have to make that you can make for yourself. There's others that you have to make for the full, whole family. Like you might think getting like AirPods is this personal decision, but if you get AirPods and your partner doesn't have AirPods, like that's a no-go, yep. right? So, um, yeah, this is my idea. You know, whoever, one of our amazing Marketing Trends listeners, if you uh, if you do that, send it to us and we'll we'll give it a plug and put it in the missions newsletter. Uh, what? You want to go? I will go. What's the favorite book you've read recently? Ooh, I love that. Uh, so my, f- I read a lot of fiction. 
Hell um, yeah. 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 I like the last thing I want to do after a long day is read more business books. Dude, and, me too. Right. Like, and I feel like, again, as a marketer, like the, the best thing that I can bring to the table is the ability to empathize with a lot mm-hmm. of different people. And I find that fiction is the best sort of classroom. And, for and reading fiction increases your neuroplasticity. Ooh. So it actually helps with a uh, general brain development. Fantastic. So my favorite book in 2018 was All the Light We Cannot See. Ooh. Can't recommend it enough. Oh, that was a good book. And then I just read uh, A Gentleman in Moscow, which was fantastic. Strong recommendation. And I'm reading, I'm finally reading Shoe Dog. That oh, yeah, my book. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. good. It's so good. We just, uh, we have an upcoming episode of the story podcast that is may or may not be about a full night. This is a leading question because I know the answer <laughs> to this. So this is a question you already did know about. Favorite podcast. So I had told you this, uh, up until being asked to do this, I'd never actually listened to a podcast before. We're converting them one you at are. a time. One Absolutely. A time. It's a good growth strategy. Just get new potential listeners to be guests on your show. And Yeah, there you go. <laughs> What's your favorite episode that you've ever listened to of all time podcast? Well, the one episode that I've ever listened to is the one that you guys do with Brian Rothenberg, who is fantastic. Oh, he's, he's such, awesome. And he has such a nice voice. Trends for 2019. If you haven't listened to it, that's a great one. Favorite ad that you've seen recently? Oh, I you know, I'm drawing a blank on that one. We everything we watch is on demand or on Netflix. So I feel like I never even see ads anymore. It's almost like there's a reason for these questions. Mm. Ads aren't rem- memorable anymore. It's the it's the content. What are you most excited about for the in the future of marketing? That's a good question. I like simplicity, right? So mm. like, I, you know, all trails is built on SEO. It's built on email. It's being on being you know responsive to our customers, and that's unlocked so much growth for us. And I go to these mobile growth conferences, and you, you kind of like get a lay of the landscape out there, and like things are fancy, things are definitely fancy, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're better or more efficient or faster or bigger. So, I don't know. What's yours? Oh, oh, you're um, not allowed well, to do that. I, I flip this around. That. That's not how this works. <laughs> I'll do what am I excited about. Um, I like that what's old is new. And I like that marketers in a lot of ways have to go back to the basics and have a deep sense of customer empathy. It's not just about tactics and techniques anymore. It goes back to how do I understand the buyer? How do I understand what they care about? And how do I make sure I'm delivering on that? And then the other thing that I nerd out on a ton right now is and you talked about it on the driving product usage and marketing not ending at the sale, marketing really thinking about customer lifetime value and how are we driving product usage and not just buying the product, but using it and finding value and becoming these huge advocates. Because if you're an advocate, all of this goodness led up to it. And I think more and more marketers, especially in SaaS, need to start thinking about it. Favorite campaign you've ever done? So. Again, Alltrails has been pretty simple, right? We, we've Up until 2018, we've never even done any paid acquisition. And so the wow. last year has been really fun, just ramping up Apple search ads, Facebook, Instagram, uh, UAC, all that. Nothing nothing too fancy, like just very, very simple blocking and tackling. That's been great. And Yelp also, same kind of thing. Like it just all kind of tapped out. Liftopia was this like ongoing puzzle, right? Only 3% of the US population skis and they live everywhere. And so you have to be really, really crafty with how you reach them, you know, you, you do it wrong, you're wasting 97% of your spend, right? And so Liftopia was kind of like this ongoing classroom. It was like, it was like gonzo. It was crazy. 
you know, we started with like SEM and affiliates and, and MySpace. We had our MySpace page back then. And, you know, as time went on, it got more complex. We started doing more event marketing. Mm-hmm. And by the time I left, I, the most like audacious thing that that we had pulled off was I did an event at the Commonwealth Club in San Francisco talking about climate change with Jeremy Jones, a pro snowboarder, and the CEOs of like these mega resorts like Whistler and Jackson Hole and Aspen. And we threw parties for two days all through San Francisco with like Olympians and pro athletes. And that that was the most fun one. That sounds so fun. Yeah. (laughs) So did you, have you seen, there's a new documentary out about the guy who free climbed El Capitan? Yeah, Free Solo. Yeah, Free Solo. So uh, this is my idea. It's not my idea. This is a very broad idea. But I always thought that something like the stuff that Red Bull does has always been like super cutting edge. But like stuff like that documentary is crushing right now. Like mm-hmm. everybody's watching it. But I always thought like stuff like that where it's like you have the it's in the household. It's in it's on Amazon or, or Netflix or whatever it is. And it's like product placement in something like that would be so killer because it's a spouse. Like you're with you're there with your family. You make buying decisions together. You're talking about it. You talk about it with your friends. And then the next thing that comes up is like, let's go skiing. Well, in 2019, All Trails is going to be sponsoring a new show on Amazon called Airwater Land. I didn't know this. Yeah, no, I know, dude. That's I so thought exciting. you were leading me, but I yeah. swear, no, we I haven't even announced no. it yet. Um, but yeah, we're super stoked on that for that exact Breaking same news. reason. Yeah, you heard it here first. See, well, I am so excited to watch this now. Yeah, yeah. What's the what's it what's the dealio? It's this dude who former Air Force guy. Um, okay, and uh, he just goes around the country and just kind of you know like hikes and mountain bikes and kayaks and you know it's nothing too gnarly it's not like an you know extreme athlete anything like that it's just like trying to like showcase all these cool parts of the country like some areas like off the beaten path and we're going to do like some cool dude that's killer that's like like uh like meat eater i don't know if you're familiar with that show on netflix but steve ranella or property brothers yeah (laughs) yeah yeah we watch a lot of property brothers in our house but yeah the same kind of thing it's like it it, the the stuff that wayfair is doing with those guys is amazing i've just been sitting back so jealous like how can i do that and that then out awesome. of the blue, dude, this opportunity just presented itself and we jumped. And it's such a great connection of what is the content your target audience is going to want to watch? How is that target audience going to expand? And you happen to be part of it. And it is in so many ways, the future of good marketing isn't going to be about a display ad. It's about how are you going to add value for your prospects and customers? And in such a big way, it's having that high quality content yeah do do what what nike did for 20 for 40 years but over the past 20 years of all of these ads of like these are the people that we all aspire to be right these mm-hmm. ads that you know back when everyone watched tv and watched the same tv that these spots were so meaningful and so powerful that n- these will not be valuable in the future it's like associating your brand with similar types of content that people actually mm-hmm. love i mean it's the thing we talk about all the time at the mission but it's like if your brand is associated with someone's favorite thing, their favorite show, like this show, Marketing Trends, is someone's favorite show. It's lots of people's favorite show because we get stuff all the time about it. So thank you to all of you that are listening. But that's so much more valuable than shoving you know, a pop-up at somebody's face. Than interrupting somebody. Yeah, that's exciting. I, we'll, we'll definitely give it a plug in, uh, in the mission when, when the show comes out. That's super fun. And I mean, at minimum, you have two viewers, so. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. <laughs> and about 240,000 coming behind that. So 
thanks so much for hanging out. This is great. It's fun. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot. World-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes, and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.